Good morning, everyone. How are you? It's very nice to see you. My brother would follow that up with, and is it nice to see me? But I'm not quite as brave as him. Okay, so, um, last week uh, I started just a little mini, super quick, lightning fast series called Faith Alive. And last week the title was Faith Sees. This week it's Faith Speaks. Next week actually it's going to be Dave. In the morning then we have carol services in the evening. And the following week it's Faith Sings. So you like that, Faith Sees. Faith speaks and faith sings. That could be in the preacher's textbook, couldn't it? Excellent. So uh, as New Testament Christians, as we saw last week, we are called to walk by faith. And do you know what? In a, in a sterilised, uh, anaesthetised material world, the danger is we become completely sense-ruled. In other words, we're only moved by what we can see and we lose sight of what we believe that we've sung so eloquently this morning. So last week, part one, was about training ourselves to look through our faith eyes rather than just our natural eyes. And the trouble, again, as I said last week, is that this is counterintuitive. This runs contrary to a a lifetime of of, of training and practice. It's difficult to to detach ourselves from what our senses are showing us right in front of our eyes and to retrain ourselves to trust God entirely. So we need to go through this constant process of of unlearning the, the natural ways and instead learning faith ways. Because you see, God is a faith God. His kingdom is a faith kingdom. And we are to be a faith people. We're to be a people of the word. We're to be a people of the promise. We're to be a people of bold obedience. We're to be a people of total trust. So, following on from last week, the question this week is, is what do we do with what we see? Last week we talked about what do we see? Do we just see with these or or do we see with our heart? Do we see with our faith eyes? So this week, what do we do with what we see? And the message essentially is this, is that our words are giving power and authority either to what we see with our natural eyes or what we see with our faith eyes. I'm going to say that again. Our words are giving influence, power and authority either to what we can see with our natural eyes, perceive with our natural senses or they're giving power, authority and influence to what we can see with our faith eyes. So the spiritual reality is that your tongue has surprising Power. Proverbs 18.21 sort of sums it all up. And it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Did you realise that death and life are in the power 
of the tongue. Your tongue has the power to kill things and your tongue has the power to bring things to life in a spiritual sense. So death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. You are eating the fruit every day of what you say. This means that that what you say is absolutely critical. Because, you know, your words are containers. They're either faith seeds or they're fear seeds. And the seed that you sow will determine the harvest that you reap. Okay, I'm going to throw out a little thought-provoker question for you today. And the question is this, what would people be able to deduce about you from the words you speak? What would they be able to deduce about you from the words you speak? If they were to hang around you long enough, what would they hear? If the words coming out of your mouth were the evidence, would they be able to confidently call you a person of faith? Would they consistently hear faith or fear? Would it be hope or despair? Would it be positivity or negativity? Would it be boldness or would it be anxiety? Would it be gratitude or would it be grumbling? Would it be God's word that they heard that rhymed? Or would it be all sorts of other things? That's the question. Uh, Last week our core verse was 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, which says we live by faith, not by sight. This week our core verse is Hebrews 10, 23. And it goes like this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Spend a couple of minutes just playing with that for a second. There are four significant clauses in that. First one is the admonition to hold fast. The second one is, is, is confession of hope. The third one is without wavering. And the fourth one is for he who promised is faithful. I'm going to go through those in a sort of random order. The second one you know, the word translated confession in, in the Greek is the word homologia. Not a great one for Greek in sermons, but this is quite helpful, I think. If you divide the word homologia into two halves, you get the first half, you get the word homo, which means the same. Think of words that have got homo at the beginning of it. It means the same. And the second part, logia, comes from the, the Greek verb logos, which means to speak. So so literally, the word homologia means to say the same thing as. Say the same thing as. Which which to me gives a, a, leads to an inevitable question, which is, say the same thing as who? I think it should be say the same thing as whom? And the inference very strongly, heavily and obviously in this is, it is true biblical confession is to say the same thing as God. In other words, it's agreeing with him. It's training ourselves to say 
what he has already said. Do you know what? Our words should sound very much like his words. Again, what was that question? What would people be able to deduce about you from the words you speak? There's a parallel verse to this. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. You know, these two verses are not randomly placed together in the same chapter. You know, God's word, we understand from verse 12, carries with it an innate power and authority. It's it's alive and active. It's, it's quick and powerful. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. You just need to get it coming out of your mouth. Amen. Hence verse 14, let us hold fast our homologia. In other words, let, let's get words, the words that are coming out of our mouths agreeing with the words that came out of his mouth. Do you know what? We have a double-edged sword. We just have to use it. Now, I promised you through this series that we'd look at at, uh, the life of, of King David, who was a man of great faith. Last week, we looked at David and Goliath, and we looked at what David could see that no one else could see. While everyone else was shivering in their boots, running with fear, terrified at the monster who is Goliath, David could see a very, very different picture. But as I said, today is what do we do with what we see? So today I want to look at what came out of David's mouth as opposed to what was coming out of everyone else's mouth. So in 1 Samuel 17... Let's look at what was coming out of everyone else's mouth first. Verse 11 says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. I want you for a moment just to cast yourselves back how many thousands of years it is, and place yourselves in the shoes of those Israelite soldiers and ask yourself what the conversation would have been like between those guys. As they've seen this enormous, enormous creature, someone is going to have to go and fight hopelessly against this great warrior. They know that the outcome of this is going to be horrible defeat, captivity, the whole lot. They're terrified. Can you imagine the conversation amongst the ranks? Have you seen the size of that man? This is a hopeless situation. What are we going to do? There's absolutely nothing we can do. Who is possibly going to defeat him? Can you imagine what what, what sort of atmosphere they were creating there? Could you imagine how their faith levels would have been completely shattered as they built up this huge great man that they would have been completely discouraged and beaten up? Let's look at, look at what David said. 
Verse 26, then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Already a very different picture. And verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I don't know how, how old David was. It's estimated he was probably only a teenager, 16, 17, 18 at this point in time. Let's flip back to, to King Saul. King Saul said to David, verse 33, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And then back to David again, verse 36. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, here's the key. David knew the promises of God. David knew that the Lord had promised to protect and provide for and fight for Israel. He knew it right down to the core of his being. He knew what God had promised his forefather Abraham. Genesis twenty-two seventeen: Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. That's what David knew. David knew the blessings of the covenant. You understand that Israel was in this blood covenant relationship, the strongest relationship you can have with the living God. And in Deuteronomy 28, God speaks the blessings of this covenant over the people. He said this, verse 6 of Deuteronomy 28, Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. That more or less covers it. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you, to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way, and flee before you seven ways. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 10. All the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. Who's shivering, guys, they're saying? Goliath, the one who should be shaking in his boots. Verse 13. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not believe. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, are not careful to obey them. David knew the promises of God. David remembered the lessons that Joshua learned as they conquered the promised land. Joshua 6 verse 4. See, I have divided you by lot, these nations that remain, to be an inheritance for your tribes. This, This is the land that they were in. It was to be in their inheritance for their tribes. Verse 5, And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. 
so you shall possess their land as the Lord God, your God promised you. Verse 8, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you've done this day. Verse 9, for the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. Here you go, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. Do you know what? That is what David spoke out. That was his confession, his homologia. That's what David chose to agree with. And you know, that for him carried far greater influence and power and authority than one uncircumcised pagan, however large his muscles and however large his mouth. The flip is that all the others spoke out of what they saw with their natural eyes. And so that utterly overtook them. They became overwhelmed with fear. Remember I said last week that that walking by faith rather than sight doesn't mean that the mountain isn't there. Doesn't mean that it's not real. Doesn't mean that it's not an issue. But what it does mean is that it's not what we choose to look at. It's not what we choose to respond to. It's not what we choose to be led by. They did. David didn't. And the rest, as they say, is history. So my four little clauses. Number one is confession. Uh, The first one was hold fast. And the third one is without wavering. In other words, hang in there. Cling on tightly and grimly to that confession. Don't let go whatever. However loud Goliath shouts, however shiny his armour, however vile his taunts, hold fast your confession of faith. Don't waver. Don't waver. Don't, Don't relent. Don't quit. Don't fade. Don't shrink back. Why? Fourth little clause. Because he who promised is faithful. This is the foundation stone. This is the anchor. This is the rock upon which all of this stands. Because he who promised is faithful. Four really, really quick verses. I'm flying through this stuff today. Psalm 119, verse 89. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to every generation as enduring as the earth you created. Isaiah 55, verse 11. Uh, God says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That that is what God says about his word. Jeremiah verse chapter 1 verse 12. You've seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. It's God's word. He spoke it. He's faithful. It is, un, it is flawless. It is unbreakable. 
and he is personally watching over it to perform it. In other words, every word of, of, of the word, scripture that you speak is backed by all of the resources of heaven itself. The New Testament version, 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are men to the glory of God through us. So Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Confess, speak God's word, agreeing with what he has said about you and your circumstances. Secondly, hold fast. Never let go. Make that your determined habit, your consistent practice, unceasingly and unstintingly confessing, speaking the word of God, agreeing with him. Thirdly, without wavering. Not in and out, not up and down, not not variable and unpredictable but without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. His word is true, flawless, unbreakable, and the full resource of heaven are backing up every word, every time. Okay, so that's the foundation. Let's apply all of that uh, to to us. Let's move that into our context, wonderful though the story of David and Goliath is. Remember my initial question to you. My initial question was, what would people be able to deduce about you from the words you speak? If they were to hang around you long enough, what would they hear? I'll put it like this. What exactly are you saying and who are you agreeing with? How fast do you hold? Or do you waver quickly? The reality is that that faith speak appears upside down. That everyone else is merrily talking about their mountain. Where Mark 11.23, that frustratingly we don't have time to look into today, tells us to speak to our mountain and tell it where to go. But that's upside down. So it's normal to be like Saul and the Israelites. It's normal behaviour to express your fears liberally, to, to moan and groan about all and sundry, to trumpet doom and gloom like everyone else. How are you, they ask. Not too bad, we reply as though bad is the expectation. But it is not normal to, quoting Romans 4 verse 17, to call, calleth, it's King James, calleth those things which be not as though they were. Amplified talks about speaking of the non-existent things that he has foretold and promised as if they already existed. That's faith. And that's how faith speaks. That's the essence of faith. It's not normal to speak words that don't seem to line up with everything your natural eyes are seeing and your circumstances are screaming. That's not normal. It's not normal to see the promise like David did when everyone else 
is fixated on the problem like the Israelites were. To be honest, if you live like that, if you talk like that, people will think you are mad. But you know what? They thought Jesus was mad. You know what? They were pretty sure that Peter and Paul were mad. So if you're coming across as sane, as just like everyone else, perhaps you're doing it wrong. Because you know what? We're called to walk by faith. We're called to be different. We're called not to conform. We're called to be abnormal. We're called to be upside down. We're called to walk by faith. Amen. So, so, so to that end, I've got, I've got four little challenge questions for you that I'm going to throw out there. Because ultimately, you know, the, the admonition today is to take inventory and to change the way we speak. So that we hold fast our confession of hope, our confession of faith, our confession of the word of God. So that our words are a double-edged sword rather than a constant damp squib. So four questions. Number one, you doing okay? Everyone hanging in there? You're holding fast? No wavering? Well done you. Question number one, do you tend to talk about what you can see or about what you can see? Okay, do you get that? What you can see with your natural eyes or what you can see with your faith eyes? Because the reality is, you know, your words are giving power and influence to one or the other. And do you know what? You get to choose. So the challenge coming out of that this morning for all of us is, is it time for a bit of a course correction? Is it time to make a little bit of a change? Is it time to, to retrain yourself in, in the ways of faith? And I'm really hoping that this little mini-series will, will nudge you in that direction. Do you tend to talk about what you can see, because that's what everyone else is doing, or do you talk about what you can see? Like David, are you hanging on to the promises of God, and that is what you are hold, that's the confession you are holding first, fast to 24 hours a day. That was question number one. Question number two is, is what seed are you sowing? Remember I said that the, the, the words are containers. You, you, you're either sowing faith seeds or you're sowing fear seeds. And that's the question. Do you habitually release faith words or fear words? And the reason that's, that's so important is because both of those seeds will produce fruit after their own kind. The law of Genesis. The question is, which of those two do you want to reap? Do you want to reap the harvest of faith seeds or do you want to reap the harvest of fear seeds? I'll ask you questions like this. What are you speaking over your life? What are you, Ezekiel 37 church anniversary night, what are you prophesying over your dry bones? Is it life or death? Is it blessing or cursing? Is it hope or despair? Is it spirit or flesh? Is it faith or fear? Is it God's word or is it 
man's word. Put it like this. What word seeds are you sowing habitually, repeatedly over your relationships? What word seeds are you sowing, speaking over your relationships? A couple of scriptures for you from Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Remember, if you know the seed you've sown, you know the harvest you're going to get. So what are you speaking over your relationships? What seed are you sowing over your, your kids? What are you speaking over your kids? What are you, what are you speaking over your, your wife, your husband? What are, you, what are you speaking over your home? What word seed are you speaking over your workplace, over your colleagues, over your bosses? over your leaders, over your team. What word seeds are you sowing? Because you will eat the harvest of the seed that you sow. So are your word seeds constructive or deconstructive? Destructive. Are they encouraging or discouraging? Are they loving or are they manipulating? Are they empowering or are they controlling? Are they kind and spirit-led? Or as we've just read from Proverbs, or are they rash and reckless? Do you know what? I've just read two columns. I reckon, sadly, in this world, there's too much of the things that, are, that, that occur in that second column. The discouraging, the manipulating, the controlling, the rash and the reckless. Do you know, we don't want to reap that harvest, folks. Instead... Over our relationships, we want to be speaking encouraging words, loving words, empowering words, kind and Holy Spirit-filled and inspired words. So question two is, what seed are you sowing? Question three is, are your words routinely limiting you? I'm trying to think of definitions for the word limiting. Are your words routinely hindering you? Holding you back? Are your words actually undermining you constantly? That's what you want, but you're undermining yourself because your words are saying that. So the promise says that, but your words are saying that. And, and, and unwittingly, unknowingly, your words are undermining you. Is it possible that your words are binding you? You know, particularly if, if your words are fear and anxiety and worry, is there not a danger? Actually, you're tying yourself in a noose. And do you know what? It's even possible that the words that you speak are cursing you. I don't get too far into that today, but do you know, the Bible's very clear that you can speak words of blessing and you can speak words of cursing. In James 3, he says, you know, how bizarre it is that the blessing and cursing often come straight out the same well. How can that possibly be? Are your words routinely limiting you? So Proverbs 18, 7, 6, 2 and 12, 13 say that foolish, evil, careless words can trap or ensnare us. You may well be in a snare right now, 
created by the words that came out of your own mouth. You know, James 3, I've already mentioned it, compares the tongue to a flame. So it's capable of sparking an enormous forest fire. You know, the enormous forest fire that you may be fighting your way through right, right now may well have been sparked by the words that came out of your own mouth. Uh, Galatians 6, which is the, the, the little passage, 7 through 9, that talks about reaping what you sow, essentially. God is not mocked. Man will reap what he sows. If you look that up in the message translation, it says that if we're not careful what we sow, we may well find ourselves harvesting a crop of weeds. So here's a question for you. Is God's word working for you, because that's really powerful, or are your careless words speaking against you? You see, if you only confess what you see with your natural eyes, you'll never experience the benefit of standing on the promises of God. Comes back down to that question Jesus asked, are you building your house on rock, or are you building your house on sand? Jesus said, when the storms come, and the storms will come, if your house is built on the sand, it will crumble, slip into the sea. If your house is built on the rock, it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at you, it will stand strong and secure. Amen. That, that parable is about what you do with the word of God. It's how you act in response to what you've heard. Or I would argue, what, what do you say about what you see. That was number three. Are your words routinely limiting you? And number four, are you using your sword? You know, your tongue can be a sword cutting the enemy dead in his tracks as you unleash the full power and might of the promises of God. Or... Your words can be an invitation to him. They can be an opening. They can be a doorway. In Ephesians 4 it says, In your anger do not sin. Do not give the enemy a foothold. What's the line? If you give the, enemy, the devil an inch, he thinks he's a ruler. Your, your words can be that little crack opening door that allows him in to set to work, tearing apart everything into pieces. You know, I, I don't have time today fully. John 7, 37, 38. If you believe in him, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. We preached a whole series on that. You know, your tongue is supposed to be, your tongue can be a river of living water. That's how it's supposed to be. Your tongue can be a river of living water releasing powerful, creative, blessing, life-affirming, word Filled, spirit-inspired words. You know, your tongue, your tongue is a tool that by faith takes God's word and makes it reality in your life. And maybe if you're scratching your head saying, I know the promises in my head. I understand them. I've been to church. I've read them. I do my daily devotions. But you know what? It's not reality in my life. Then I would argue it could well be because of the confession that is coming out of your mouth. 
the seed that you are sowing. And the question again is, are you using your sword? I mean, it's fantastic to have that sword. Think what damage we can do with that sword. Think how we can, we can improve, increase our lives if only we would use that two-edged sword that is sharper than any other sword. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. One last thought before I give you some challenged questions. You know, I think probably, if we're honest, we, we start just great. You know, you can see the promise, you see the mountain, you identify, you know, God says I'm above and not below. You know, God says that, that all things are possible to him who believes. That God says that we're that, that in all these things we're more than conquerors. That, that God's word says nothing shall separate us from the love of God. That, that God's word says I shall supply all your needs according to your riches and glory, His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We understand that we start great in our first prayer life. We start absolutely great and we fly that stuff out. But you know we've got to hold fast. And I think the problem is it's great on a Sunday morning when you've got Mike and Caroline amening in the front. Everyone feels great and we've sung those songs. We're all inspired and we all, you know, our hope and confession is all great. But the question is, does it then tail off? Does it then start to tail off? Do we, do we fail to hold fast? Do we, do we begin to waver? Do we forget perhaps that he who promised is faithful? And I think that that's the, the, the outstanding message that, that I'd like you to get today. Faith speaks. First of all, faith has to see. Then faith has to speak. And you've got to hold fast that confession of faith. And I'm so looking forward to the next one, which is faith sings. I think there's some really powerful stuff in there. Okay, brilliant. Two response actions for you today. Give me a wave. So I'm still listening. Give a person a nudge in the rib and say, wake up. This is the important bit. Okay, two response actions. I'm going to say this with a smile on my face. Right, if you've got tomatoes, rotten eggs, just keep them in your pocket. Okay, so two things, and it's not that bad, trust me. The first one is I'd just like to ask you, this week, just to take inventory of the words you hear coming out of your own mouth. And just ask questions like this, how much word is coming out? You know, you may well have the sheath, the, the sword stuck in its sheath and you never get it out. And then you wonder why the enemy's creating havoc and you're losing the battles because you're not using your sword. So have a little listen this week as you find yourself in conversations, as you find yourself facing giants, whatever it is, and just have a little listen to the words that come out of your mouth. Don't do it out of your partner's because that's not going to go good. Okay, just your own words. How much word is coming out of your mouth? Is it faith coming out of your mouth or is it fear coming out of your mouth? Is, is what's coming out of your mouth working for your faith or is it working against it, limiting, undermining and so on and so forth? So that's number one. Can you do that? Just take inventory and, and I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to remind you. Little, you've ever experienced the Holy Spirit digging the ribs? Okay, just several times this week just to be reminded and go, oh, oh, oh. okay, right, got it. Okay, I get it. Because the second one is is I'm going to encourage you all today to make a conscious decision. Stake in the ground. I am going to consciously homologia this week. Right? I'm going to agree 
with God at all times. I'm going to unleash that sword, sword of spirit, and I'm going to put it to work. And so the first one perhaps is, is kind of have it slightly negative, a little listen, see what's coming out. The second one is make that decision. I am going to homologia like crazy this week. I'm going to make sure the promises of God are coming out. I'm going to make sure the seed I'm sowing are faith seeds and not fear seeds. Is that okay? Can you do that? Brilliant. Fantastic. I'm done. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. We haven't had a health and safety nightmare on the, on the candles there, so all is good. Not, we're getting a bit close, though. Why don't you stand? Stretch those legs. Thanks, Darren. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we, we want to be people of faith. We thank you that Jesus set such a striking example of walking by faith. Thank you that through the Old Testament we have all sorts of stories and lessons that model how we're to walk in faith and it is upside down, it is unnatural, it is counterintuitive. But Lord, that's the way of your kingdom. We've got to unlearn some stuff. We've got to relearn your ways. Today, Lord, we've been talking about the words coming out of our mouth and I pray this week, Lord, for everyone in this room I pray that little dig in the ribs just a couple of times, just that reminder, Uh uh-oh, maybe it'll be an encouragement. That's great, I I gave them both barrels there. Perhaps them, I gave the mountain both barrels there. Other times, maybe that little course correction, do you know what, I'm just starting to undermine, just starting to limit. Lord, would you show us, you're you're, you're, you're the paraclete, the one drawn alongside to help us and to counsel and comfort and advocate for us and and teach us and remind us. And Father, our invitation to you this week is show us, Lord, what is coming out of our mouths. Help us, Lord, to be people of your word. Be people of faith, people of the promise. May may that double-edged sword not spend the week sheathed behind us, but spend the week coming out of our mouths God, if we would all do that, think how our circumstances would start to shift. Think how the atmosphere would begin to change in our conversations, in our prayer lives. Remind us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.